Welcome to Risking Old Age in America. The 76 million baby boomers in the United States are getting older. Are we ready? We talk with thought leaders, professional advisors, and others with deep understanding of the generational challenges for both individuals and for the nation. Now here's your host, elder law and long-term care expert, Harry Margolis. I'm delighted to be joined today by George Kinder, who's the founder of the Kinder Institute of Life Planning. He's a financial planner with uh, many decades of experience and also many decades of experience training more than 3,000 other financial planners in the, I guess, the field of life planning as a financial life planning as opposed to just financial planning. And I guess I'd like to start, George, by asking you, what's the difference? Well, I, one of one of my great students many years ago, who was the head of the whole financial planning association, which had nearly thirty thousand members at that point, he took our programs and he said, "Life, all life planning is is financial planning done right." And I think that's a wonderful definition because what it does, and a financial planner, a certified financial planner, is supposed to be a fiduciary, which means that they put the client's interests first. That's the number one thing they do. And and that's what we do in life planning. We we look at who the client is and what they really want, what they're passionate about, what they what they would miss if they didn't accomplish, and and we make sure it happens. So so that's that's life planning. I've been training people in it for thirty years, and it's been a, a lot of fun and extraordinary. We've got uh, registered life planners in thirty countries. It's amazing. Wow, it is amazing. So. So it sounds like you're starting with people's goals and the financial stuff comes after that rather than the other way around. Yeah, it's I mean, what's what's really interesting, Harry, in the first meeting, even the Certified Financial Planning Board recommends you do money stuff first. But what happens is if you start with the money, the clients think it hands hand the meeting over to you because mm-hmm. you're expert on the meeting. Right. Right. And, and that's not fiduciary. What, what we want is the client to uh, be treated at really as royalty in a way as first, that it's who they are and who they want to be that we want to serve. And so if we, if we dive into the money, they're all over the money and they're just waiting for our questions. Right. Whereas if we ask them why they're, why they're here, what they'd like to accomplish mm-hmm. if worked for a period of time with them, what their life would be like and all that. And, and then just kind of kept quiet, keep, an open-end question and and just keep going with it. They eventually go to every single thing that they're concerned about, that they're hopeful for, that they wished for, that they longed for. And it comes, really, they, they do it because we're not your traditional financial advisor or you're certainly not your stockbroker. Right. We, we listen really well. So what we do is we train advisors in listening skills and empathy and in catching those sparks of inspiration that the client have to show that we're we're there for them. I know you have, you're kind of famous for your three questions, which I've looked at and I would find hard to answer. Maybe I would need the help of one of your life planners, but maybe you can tell us what, what they are and, and how that works. Sure. That's what I'm most famous for, but I should say that before we even go to them, we do a, a good solid meeting of really just listening to the client. So we're not we're not playing games with with questions and all that. But then in the second meeting, which is a vision meeting, we look at these three questions and a number of other things, like what would your ideal life look like? What would your ideal year, week, day look like? That kind of question. So we're we're going at what 
what might be really inspiring for the client. So in the in the three questions, the first one is just to kind of loosen you up. <laughs> if you won the lottery, what would you do? It's, it's a little bit lighter than that. If you had all the money that you needed mm-hmm. for the rest of your life, and that's very precise, really, all the money that you need for the rest of your life. Right. However you define that, what would you do? What would you do differently? How would you live your life? And of course, it's that's a lot of money for most of us, and, and we play with that and have fun with it. And and then it's really to loosen people up to get them to think about all the things that they've always wanted to do or they wish they could do. And then the second question, we get a little bit more serious. It's almost a legacy question. It's more up your alley, really, your your field in a way. And that, and that question is, if you if you went to the doctor and... They shocked you with the news that you have a rare ailment. You'll feel as healthy as you feel right now, which is pretty healthy. Mm-hmm. But you've only got five to 10 years left to live. You'll live at least five. But before year 10, you'll, you're going to keel over and mm-hmm. you don't know when. So the question then is, what would you do if you knew mm-hmm. that? You, right. you have, instead of having all the money that you need, you got have just what you get, have right now. What would you do differently? How uh-huh. would you wife? And there, of course, you know, the bucket list comes out and all that kind of stuff. But mostly people begin to reflect more on their relationships. relationships. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, tends to be the number one thing. But there are other uh, passions that are powerful and sometimes are more powerful for some people. One of them is um, their sense of values or spiritual in some way. Second one is... Uh, Spirit of creativity. I, I've been astonished in my career, my 30 plus year career, 50 year career, whatever it is, how many people have, have a secret creative passion. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometime for a lot of people, uh, certainly in the industry that I'm in, the financial industry, that comes out as an entrepreneurial creativity. Mm-hmm. I, I find half my baby boomer friends are, are uh, joining rock bands, but. That's it. Man, I mean, I, I'll tell you my own story about that maybe later. <laughs> Yeah, it's absolutely true. And they want to play a, a jazz in a nightclub on Wednesday nights or, or just play in a band. And, and yeah. it's cool. So and what I found in the the my younger clients is they want to be have their videos on TikTok. They want to <laughs> they want to act in independent films or create an independent film. <laughs> so it, it's really it's really wonderful. It inspires you about human nature that we, in fact, have this ongoing longing for creativity and to make a yeah. difference. So that's the second question. And you can see it gets more into the legacy issue. And the third one is, has legacy written all over it? Although at first you don't, you might not see it. Mm-hmm. This time what happens is you go to the, the doctor and, and this time she says, listen, you've got, I, I misdiagnosed. Mm-hmm. We're going in thinking, ah, oh, everything's cool. I misdiagnosed. You have a rare ailment. And Unfortunately, it's come to term. You have at most a day left in your life. And the question is not what you would do. It's to ask you to reflect on all those things you'd anticipated doing, all those things that you'd longed to do, you'd look forward to. And then ask yourself, what did I miss? Who did I not get to be? I think that's the big one. And yeah. what did I not get to do? Mm-hmm. So that. That's the final question. It's the deepest question. Yeah. And we find that most life plans play off that question 
most of the time. I assume that plays back to the first two questions that I get to that question and maybe they rethink their answers to questions one and two. Absolutely. Sometimes there's just one answer that's so profound and so personal. Sometimes it's such a surprise even to them that it wasn't in one and two. But both times you see overlap, which makes Uh it one. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so I was, I'm going to ask you some corollaries to your questions. You got because because these are these are great questions, um, and I, I think challenging questions. Man, just speaking for myself to answer for for people yet yeah, to come up with answers, but because we're all so busy most of the time, just doing what we have to do and getting through the day and making a living and taking care of everything that's on our agenda. But what if instead of in question one, you have enough money for your needs? What if it's the case with the situation, which I think is the case for a lot of uh, retirees, that you don't have enough money for everything you're going to need, especially if you might need long-term care. What would you, what would you say to, to them or how would you work with clients on this? Yeah, well, that's in a way why we have question number two and question number three. In those questions, we don't assume. If the client goes, I'm often ask, hey, do I still have all the money I need? Oh, right. <laughs> and they go, no, 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 this time, let's make it poignant. And uh so you have just what you have right now. What would you do? Mm-hmm. So in a way, they've already thought that through and they've weighed. And this is the value of the questions is we all have to do this. Like you're saying, we've got, got our to-do list that is incredible. And, yeah. and we think it's what we're passionate about. And what these questions do is they bring up what we're really passionate about and then ask us to weigh what we're currently doing. And that's the function of life planning, what we're currently doing. Versus what we really would love to do, would long to do. And how is it? Because so often, I'm sure you felt this in your life. I certainly did in my life. There would be so many things that I'd go, well, I'll get to that in a couple of years. That'll right. Be. Yeah. Get, or, get, um, get all this other stuff off, off the table. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Or we might get into it in retirement. And, yeah. and what a life planner will do is they'll bring those things up to the foreground. If they're, if they're meaningful to you, and usually they're quite meaningful, we'll bring them much earlier. So in a way, the, the questions already include that, mm-hmm. that, that challenge in it. It's a big challenge. And, and I, if I were facing something like suddenly I had the, the financial safety net that I put together for myself over the years were pulled out from under me, I'd go right back to my three questions. Mm-hmm. Look at, well, what is most important here? What is most profound? What is it that I have to live for? Because we ultimately, we, we don't live for the money and we don't want to live for the money. Mm-hmm. And the money sir, should serve us. So that's right. really where I would go with it, I think. Yeah. Right. Important uh, distinction. People lose sight of that. Yeah. And partly because money is quantifiable, right? So exactly. you, you yes. see what the number is in the bank, which you can't do with all these other things. That's right. It's, it, it is quantifiable and more where you can get more of it. And the more you have, the more free you feel, you think you feel. Right, and all. Right. So you, you really, it's a, it is a little bit of an addiction. It's yeah. incredibly valuable. I mean, it's not, I, I don't want to underplay its value, right. but the, the point of life planning is to bring that ba- value to weigh it appropriately. Yeah. It's what, what is your legacy? What is your mission? What were you born to do? Right. And, and there are things that we feel underneath it all that we really were born to do. Right. So, so my corollary, corollary for your question two yeah. is rather than your doctor telling you that you have five or 10 more years to live, or maybe they tell you you have five or 10 more years to live, 
but that during a great part of that time, you're going to be disabled, going to need uh, care, assistance from others. It may have to depend on family members or, or, or your own financial resources to pay for your care. And how does that factor into all this? Well, again, you're bringing up really wonderful and very tough questions, Harry. Thank you for that. The, uh, and they're not things that we haven't either encountered or thought about. The, in the early days of my, my practice, I would occasionally have someone who was as old as I am now or 10 years older. And, and they would, and I wouldn't quite know how to work with them given that maybe they only had five years left to live already. They knew that. And, and what I what I learned to do was to shorten that time frame. Hmm. They they might be expecting to live five years, and I might say, "What if you only had two years left to live? Then what would you do?" Because it, it in the first one we have unlimited money, in the second one what we're doing is we're limiting the time that we have because it, the time ultimately the time is what is all that we have right, more than right, money, right? right? Yeah. It's all that we got. So yeah. if if I can limit it and and make it more poignant for the client, they're going to search inside themselves and find, what is it? What is it that I need to do? Mm. So that was one of the things that I would do. And then you're you're raising a couple of questions there. One is the, the question of a shorter time frame, and the other one is disability. So I'll tell mm. you, I'll tell you my, here's my rock and roll story, if you will. So um, in at the end of 2019, at the beginning of 2020, I was one of the first people to catch COVID. Oh, wow. One of the first people in the West. And I caught it here in Hawaii. And I don't need to go through the story of it, but it was coming from San Francisco over to here. Uh -huh. And on the plane, someone coughed over me the whole time. Oh, my gosh. Right. Uh, yeah, I know. You just love that, right? Yeah, and that, that, that was before any, any vaccine. So you, you've got the full brunt of it. Before vaccines, before masks, yeah. all that. And, and so I got over here and they didn't know, they diagnosed it as pneumonia because COVID hadn't been realized yet. But doctors since then have said, no, it seems clear you had COVID. Yeah. Well, what happened from that was I got long COVID. Oh. So you're looking at someone who three and a half, four years ago was walking 14,000 steps a day. That was, that's my sport. Yeah. Uh, I'm down around four or 5,000 steps a day. Wow. Well, can't, I can't tell looking at you on the screen. I, but my, my day is about marshalling and monitoring my energy so that uh -huh. I, so that when I'm on screen, I can be alive for you and be engaged. Yeah. Uh, but that's, that's been the story of my life is that I'm I've had, to hear that. Thank you. I, I've had roughly a third the energy that I had three or four years ago. So mm. what happened because I knew the three questions and I knew the value of my life and my legacy was that I immediately went to those three questions. And I thought, what is it that I haven't delivered? And at that point, you didn't know how long you might die in a few months. You had no idea how yeah. long you'd live. Now we think it's long COVID is kind of like chronic fatigue. But for some of us with more issues, it's much, much more complex. But mm -hmm. the so I went back to the three questions. And I'm just going to tell you what I accomplished over the last Basically, over three of those years, over, mm -hmm. over those years, I had been working on uh, a set of books, five books of poetry and photography, 
hmm. of on this pond that I live on in in Massachusetts, and it's a bit a bit like Walden. And it was exploring what the nature of living in the present moment was, like mindfulness. Yeah. And and so I work, and I was doing something for every single day of the year. I've been working on it for thirty years. So suddenly it came up to me, man, I could have launched this just like that. Life takes those things away from you. Yeah. Well, it lit a fire under me. I wrote those five books of poetry and photography. They're all published. They're available for wow. free, much or at a very modest cost by subscription online, digital. I also, my daughters were 16 years old that first summer. And I, I created a creative project for each of them that I thought would be really perfect for them. And one of my daughters, London Kinder, is very musical, really wonderfully. Mm-hmm musical singing lead at in her acapella at Williams right now. And, and, and she, and so I challenged her. I said, look, let's get together. Let's make an album together. So here's my fantasy going back to when I was a boy, 14 years old or so, I wanted to be a crooner. I wanted to write (laughs) and roll and, and then ultimately folk songs. So I wrote, I think eight or nine protest songs about Mm -hmm. what's happening in the world. And, she contributed to that writing and she wrote the music and I contributed to that. And luckily her voice, much, <laughs> much more beautiful than mine. But we're both there on Spotify. You can find the oh. album on Spotify. And so we did that. So that's all in uh, uh, just a few years of just like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make this happen. So it sounds so, like you were able, you focused on what mattered rather than all the other things that are coming in because you only had the energy for that. Right. I had to let go of a huge amount of stuff, which you might have yeah. yeah. Well, thank you very much for, to, despite all that, taking the time to talk talk to me about this. I, I, I end all these conversations with the same three questions, different questions from your three questions, and, and, may, and I think easier to answer, but maybe not. So the first is, what would your recommendation really for, for baby boomers and, and life planning be for in terms of public policy. I'm terribly sorry. I don't know how that happened. Do you want to start that over again so that David is okay with this? The... Uh, yeah, I, I didn't he- actually hear it, but yeah. Oh, okay. My, I was my talking. off. I, I yeah, thought yeah. I'm totally off. Um, yeah, sorry. Okay. Okay, I'm not sure where it was, but um, I'll try to do it again. Question. Yep. Yeah. So as, you, as we, I, I end all my conversations with the same three questions, and the first one is, is a public policy question. So in the area of life planning, and and I would think to some extent the shortage of funds for most people. What what would your single most important public policy recommendation be to government leaders, other people making public policy in the United States? First of all, I want to give you great credit, Harry, for bringing this up and for taking taking this to the level of concern that you have and and asking it at the end of every of every interview. I love it, and I'm going to go I'm going to go much broader than you imagined. Okay. So, because I can easily imagine things that are specifically related to elder care and related to the financial crisis that's going to come up. I'm going to read you something that I'm putting at the end of every my book, every one of my books. Okay. And it's just a sentence. And what I want to say to all the people listening and, and share with you is that we've been with all the things going on in the world, whether it's democracy or the planet or whatever our concerns are, racism, bigotry, false news, propaganda, we keep fighting kind of almost like rear guard actions. Mm -hmm. And and then we're competing for the funds. Yep. 
And then we go to politicians who have largely been paid by large, huge contributors who have their own issues. And the study, I'm sure the study about oligarchy at the Princeton did about five or six years ago, where they basically proved that our issues don't matter. It's the oligarchs that, mm-hmm. that, and they get their issues brought to the front and then deliver. So I've, I'm now, I, I, I went on tour for a while. I wrote a book called A Golden Civilization, wrestling with all of this. And what I finally have done is I put that concisely into a single sentence, the legislative proposal. And what I would ask is that all of your policymakers come together and do this, because otherwise we're constantly going to be fighting and and the, the income inequality that exists in America is just going to grow and grow and grow. So here's my single sentence legislative proposal. A fiduciary standard of obligation is required for all institutions corporate, nonprofit, and governmental, to place the interests of all stakeholders, of truth, of humanity, democracy, and the living planet that sustains us first above their own self-interest. If we passed that as a piece of legislation, so much would just go by the wayside and we would solve so many problems, including the elder care crisis. That That's definitely true. Good. Thank you. Well, I, I hope uh, some policymakers will be listening. So my next question is, uh, for individuals, what would be your single most, single most important recommendation to, say, baby boomers who are facing potentially their own elder care issues in the future? Yeah. And here again, I'm going to, I want to, I want to do deep obeisance to, and bow to all of the people that you're going to be interviewing here who are going to be really thinking about the mathematics of the financial situation that your audience is going to be facing, because that's incredibly important. And I'm going to, again, go in a different direction um, from that. And that direction that I would take your audience to is, what is it that you can do with your life if you are disabled? Mm -hmm. What that you can do? I'm, I'm the, the, the final book that I'm writing in this series of books is called The Three Domains of Freedom. And mm. the, fir- the first domain of it is each moment is yours. Do you feel like that? And probably we don't. Right. <laughs> All those tasks get in the way. Yes. But what, so what I would recommend is really diving into the practice of mindfulness. Because mm-hmm. what it is, is it's a practice of mastery of the present moment. I mean, mm-hmm. you never get there, but that's what the practice is. It keeps returning you to the present moment, you get better and better at it. And your life is richer, more filled with joy and happiness and clarity and all the rest. So I would be, I would be looking at what can you, what are the things you can do if you're disabled, regardless of what the condition. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think this is a great one to begin with. And uh, thank you very much, George, for, for all of this. And I have one final question, which is who else should we talk to? Yeah. Get Elizabeth Warren on here. Get We, we can. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, not that she has great power, but the among the life planning community, there's a person in the Netherlands, and I don't know if you'd go that far, but uh, that I would sure. talk to named Louis Volbrecht. And Laura in my office can put you together with him. And the two people here that I would go to who are uh, among the young leaders in the 
life planning and financial planning community. They've won awards from the XY community and other communities are a man named Scott Frank and Christina Benz. Uh, no, Christina Livadari. Livadari. She uh, got married recently and changed her name. Uh-huh. And both Laura, Laura can put you together with all of them. They're, they're dynamic in their engagement and so in their presentations and, and deep. And, and those two in particular have profound knowledge of the financial planning world. So you'd get more of that in this conversation. Yeah. Well, this has been a wonderful conversation, George. Thank you very much. And I, I look forward to reading your new book when it comes out. Thank you, Harry. Thanks for all the great work you're doing. And thanks for inviting me. 